Psalm 4. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. O ye sons of men, how long will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love vanity and seek after leasing? Selah. But know that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There be many that say, Who will show us any good? Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. For thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. Tell the message tonight, Thou hast enlarged me. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your precious word. Pray as we look into the word of God tonight that you would encourage us and strengthen us in our walk with you. And may you be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the word enlarge is not something that's used often in the Bible. But in several places, of course, in Second Corinthians chapter 6, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and says, said that, that it instructed them to be enlarged. Uh, you remember Jabez and tucked away there in Second Chronicles or First Chronicles chapter four among the genealogy, just two, two verses about him. And one of the things he said was that he asked the Lord to enlarge his coast. The word "enlarge" means to make wide space for anyone, to make room for him. Yeah, so Jabez was asking the Lord. To, to broaden or widen the space uh, and asking to make room for him. You might ask ourselves a question, how much room do I have in my life for God? Or is there secret places in my life that I don't really want the Lord to be master of? You know, so when we make room for him in every area of life, that the Lord really begins to manifest himself in his grace and truth, and we begin to really understand his word. But not until we make room for him. And it kind of goes along with the same idea of surrendering ourselves to him. Uh, but the word enlarged not only has the idea of surrender, but the idea of also making more useful. Because the, the more room we give to the Lord, the more he will... Direct and control, that's the word we don't like, control and direct and use our life. Psalm, or Proverbs eighteen sixteen says, A man's gift maketh room for him, and bringeth him before great men. You know, man's gift, you know, somebody that likes to give gifts, people make room for that person. They like people that give gifts. People are attracted to people that give gifts. And they will allow him into their lives, and they'll, they'll, they'll allow him to flu- influence them and, and to have preeminence in their life. You know, and whether we like it or not, whether we would admit it or not, all of us favor certain people that we like. And there may be somebody that we dislike or just don't like their personality, and, and they may do the same thing, but we kind of overlook it in the person we like, and we don't overlook it in the person we don't like. That's, that's human nature. That's the way we are, because we're sinful creatures. 
So you think about a man who gives gifts, we make room for. And so God wants us, you know, he has given us the greatest gift. He wants us to make room for him. To enlarge, and he says that he wants us to be enlarged. Now, I'm going to start out with a negative. I like to try and end on the positive. I don't want to be known as a negative preacher. I guess I'm known well enough for that anyway. But, but, uh, but if we are going to be enlarged, I want you to notice, notice. I'm going to notice three things about enlargement. First of all, the, the pursuit of enlargement, the product of enlargement, and then the practice of enlargement. And then I have some subpoints too. But anyway, the pursuit of enlargement. And verse 1 says, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when everything was going great. No, doesn't say that. No, thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. We are enlarged in times of distress. That word distress means affliction. In times of affliction. In fact, if you go back to Psalm 119, Psalm 119. Some believe this Psalm 4 was also written when David fled from Absalom. Others don't agree, agree with that assessment, but it don't really matter as far as I'm concerned. But truth truth in any situation. But you know, we are enlarged in times of affliction. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 65. Thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord, according unto thy word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now have I kept thy word. Thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. The proud have forced a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in thy law. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. Verse 75 also says, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right, and that thou in faithfulness hast afflicted me. Now, I don't know what the situation was that David's talking about here where he was afflicted, but we do know that, that there were several times that are recorded for us in, in uh, First and Second Samuel that David, David suffered affliction. It was, it was common in his life, as it is in common in everyone's life. It's part of life. The question is, what do we do with those afflictions? Do we, do we grow through them? Do we endure them? Uh, do we, or do we rebel? And, and as we're going to see here, some turn away in times of affliction. But, but the Lord desires to use afflictions in our lives to enlarge us. To enlarge us. James Chapter 1, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, uh, says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. Knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have a perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Uh, Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith be much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, and might be found in the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of our Lord Jesus, our 
of appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, and whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Uh, Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, But I would not, you should understand, brethren, I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me, in other words, the afflictions that happened to Paul, he's writing from prison, the things that, that, that have happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he talks about the afflictions and the, the things that he endured and some of the things that he endured for the gospel's sake. And he said, though this outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. You know, we're persecuted, we're cast down, and we're, but not distressed. And so God desires to enlarge us or does enlarge us in times of affliction. Proverbs 18.1 says this, through desire, a man, having separated himself, seeketh an intermeddle of all wisdom. And the idea there is that through discipline, a man is willing to develop his character. Now, discipline is not pleasant. Whether it was given to you by your mom and dad when you were little, or whether you're doing it maybe like an athlete training for something, it's not pleasant. It's not, you know, you sit down and eat ice cream after every meal and you eat just whatever you want and you enjoy whatever you want. No, it's rigid. It's denying. It means denial of self. You know, I'm afraid that the reason we have little character today and internal strength to stand for the truth is we have little discipline. Children don't know trials, hardships. Overcome fears with trust the Lord which is confidence in him. You know, we, we have a generation or two generations where parents have pampered the kids. You know, when our kids were little, there's a bad thunderstorm. I think they might have done this once. They came running to the room, our bedroom, and they went running back <laughs> and never came back. Uh, no, they need to learn to trust you know, at that point in their life, you know who they need to learn to trust? You, the parent. You say, it's okay. Everything's fine. You'll be fine. You go back to your room and you stay there. That sounds mean, I know. But, but you know, what are you doing? You're, it's discipline. Teaching them to overcome their fears. Uh, not, you know, not be afraid. You know, some parents, they'll spend hours and hours just... We need to talk it out. Sort of like the lady who kept going back to the psychologist to get help over her childhood abuse problems. And all they did was reopen the wounds from her childhood and, and talk about them over, all, all over again. And she would cry and fuss and all that and, and have ourselves a pity party and justify then her immature actions as a result of that. That's all they did. You see how you know that, preacher? Because I had a lady that's what she used to do. And finally, I told her, you know, that psychologist isn't helping you. You're just rehashing over and over again the same old things. That you, need to, you need to forget those things. You need, you need to put them behind you. There's nothing you can do about it. You need to learn to deal with the hardships of life. You know, we have a, we have a generation of, you know, all this bullying stuff. 
Hey, there was bullies in school when I went to school. They bullied me. Um, I was not the biggest guy in school by any means. I was one of the smaller ones at that time. Now I just punch him in the nose. But, uh, but you know, you, that's that, the best way to take care of a bully. But, but, you know, there's always bullying in school. Kids threaten me. Well, I, I remember I had a, had a boy sitting next to me. Joey was his name. And uh, I, I got decent grades in school, and a lot of them were jealous. And he wanted, he wanted me to move my arm while we were taking the exam because he wanted to copy my answers. And I wouldn't do it. And he threatened me. Idle threat, nothing happened because of it. But, you know, bullying. No, we need to learn to trust the Lord and face the hardships and face the fears uh, with, of life with trust. And, of course, that's displayed by obedience. In Hebrews 5.8, it says, Though he were a son, speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, let, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. You know, if you're going to master anything, it takes effort, it takes work, it takes discipline. And if we want God to enlarge us, we have to endure the afflictions of life. You know, we can't live on the mountaintop. We have to live in the valleys. You know, Lester Furloff used to say, if you're in the valleys, farm it. That's where good farming is, in the valleys. Um, so, so we are enlarged in times of affliction or times of distress. Secondly, we are enlarged by seeking his glory. Notice verse 2. O you sons of men, how long will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love vanity and seek after leasing? Now, to love vanity, someone says to love vanity is to love sin. It's to chase a bubble. It's to lean upon a reed or have hope in a spider's web. Ezekiel chapter 5, Ezekiel chapter 5, and verses 5 through 8, prophet Ezekiel says, Ezekiel, (coughs) excuse me, Ezekiel 5, 5 through 8, thus saith the Lord God, this is Jerusalem. I have set it in the midst of the nations and the countries that are round about her. You know, think about it. God set Jerusalem in the midst of the countries, in the midst of the nations, to be a witness to the glory of God. That was where he set them. Like he set the church in the world to be a witness to the glory of God. But it says in verse 6, And she hath changed my judgments into wickedness more than the nations, and my statutes more than the countries that are about her. For they have refused, for they have refused my judgments and my statutes. They have not walked in them. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, because you multiplied more than the nations that are round about you, have not walked in my statutes, neither have kept my judgments, neither have done according to the judgments of the nations that are round about you. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, am against thee, who execute judgments in the midst of thee in the sight of the nations. So Jerusalem was set in the midst of the nations as a witness to the glory of God, but they changed and corrupted the glory of God with their high places, with their groves, while at the same time still claiming to worship the Lord God. But then they had all these groves and all these high places also. 
So what they did was they were therefore they were they projected a perverted image of God to the nations. And their message to the nations was there is more you think about it this way. Their message to the nations was there is more than one God and many ways to God. Because they had these high places. Not only did they have the altar at Jerusalem, they had all these high places. Of course, you know, Jeroboam had the, the, the calves at Bethel and one at Dan. And, and, so they, and then they had you know, groves besides and all that. So, so really what they were saying is, you know, we have the, God of, uh, uh, the Lord God at Jerusalem, but then there's this God and this God and this God. And instead of going up to Jerusalem to worship God, just worship him at Bethel or worship him at Dan. So there are more ways to God than one. Does that sound familiar? You know, when we create a God of our own understanding or purport his truth, we're guilty of idolatry. Whether we build altars or not. And what we've done is sculptured out in our minds our own God and our own way to God. You know, many independent Baptists say you don't need to repent, just believe. Others say God is a God of love. He's not concerned with the outer man, just the heart. That's not the God I know. God is concerned about the heart, but the heart manifests itself in the utter man. Of course, Titus 2, 11 and 12 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Having therefore these promises, dear to beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And the word perfecting speaks of continuous action. We call it growth. You know, I didn't, didn't stop growing spiritually when I hit 50. Uh, no, we ought to be continually growing in our walk with the Lord. And, of course, it is the work of God. If you notice, he says in verse 1, O God of my righteousness, our righteousness comes from him. And so we are enlarged when we seek his glory and not our own. And, and if, we, if we go after vanity, we bring his glory to shame. We're a disgrace to him. We shame him. You parents probably know what it is to have a child embarrass you in public. It happens. That's really the idea here. We bring shame to him when we don't obey the truth. And Israel was an embarrassment or a shame because they perverted the image of God before the nations. So that's the pursuit of enlargement. Secondly, the product I want to notice, uh, I guess I've got four things here. Oh. Uh, first of all, a seeking after godliness. This, these are the products of enlargement. A seeking after godliness. Verse 3. But know that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Uh, a seeking after godliness or godlikeness. 
You know, some have the idea that God is a, like a big Santa. Others, God is like a dictator just ordering everybody around. You know. Let me ask you a question. Was Jesus like either? And John 1.18 tells us, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. So, the Son declared the Father. Or, we might say, he is the representation of the Father. Hebrews 1.3 says, Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image, and that word image there again means likeness or representation, so he is the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Colossians 1.15, speaking of the Lord Jesus again, says, who is the image of the invisible God. So he's the likeness, or he's the representation of the invisible God. So if you want to know what God's like, study the Lord Jesus. That's what he's like. Now, he was a loving Savior, but he was also righteous and holy. And he didn't hold back from pronouncing judgment upon the wicked. So we should be seeking that image or that likeness in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and uh, <clears throat> verses 1 through 11. Colossians 3, 1 to 11. He says, If you then be risen with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, that word mortify means to render dead, or to crucify. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, and order affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, and lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and up the new man, which is renewed in knowledge, after the image of him that created him. See, we're to... We're to, to try and pattern our lives, or to seek to fit the image of Christ, or that likeness. Where there is neither Jew, Greek, nor Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, skith, and bond are free, but Christ is all in all. So, so we should be seeking God-likeness. God-likeness. And, you know, and, and again, God-likeness, or the Lord Jesus-likeness, is not some sissified, wimpy guy. He was a man. If he would not have been a rugged man, he would never have endured what he did going to the cross. He'd have died before he got there. Because he was a day without water, and without food. And then the scourging and the beating and the bleeding and, 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 and sweating great drops of blood. That is a condition in itself that can rupture the heart. 
Now, he was a man. You know, he overthrew the tables of the money changers. And most people believe those were marble tapers, tables. They weren't the plastic ones we have downstairs. And he did it by himself, and nobody ran him off. Uh, no, he was a man. And we should seek, be seeking that image, that likeness of our Lord Jesus Christ. And though he was a gentleman, yet he was a man. Uh, secondly, there, uh, a product of this enlargement is a reverence or an awe. The word awe in verse 4, stand in awe. The word awe here means to fear or to tremble. To tremble. Psalm 18, verse 7. Psalm 18, verse 7 says, Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations also of the hills moved and were shaken because he was wroth. Psalm 99, 1. The Lord reigneth. Let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubims. Let the earth be moved. Psalm 114, 7. Tremble thou earth at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. Isaiah 66, 5. Hear the word of the Lord. Ye that tremble at his word, or that ye that fear his word. Um, I lost the place here. Uh, ye, that, ye that tremble at his word. Your brethren that hated you, that cast you out for my name's sake, said, Let the Lord be glorified, but he shall appear to your joy, and they shall be ashamed. So Isaiah is saying to those who, would, who feared or trembled at his word. In other words, they were... They stood in awe of it, and they did not sin, as the psalmist said here in Psalm 4. And he said, you know, those that, those that, that uh, hated you and cast you out for my name's sake, he said, he's gonna, the Lord's going to appear to you for joy, and they will be ashamed. Oh, we need to tremble at his word. You know, the Bible says in James 2 that thou believest there is one God, the devil, thou doest well, the devils also believe and tremble. And tremble. Well, we need to stand in awe. Our God is a consuming fire, Hebrews tells us in chapter 12. He's not to be presumed upon or taken lightly. Third thing we see here, a product, is an enriched communion by prayer and meditation. Verses 3 and 4, he says, But know that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Seal it. So, you know, God will hear. We're talking about the communion of prayer and meditation. I think those two things go together. But God will hear the prayer to know the presence of God. You know, the psalmist said, Psalm 55, 17, evening and morning and noon will I pray. Daniel said in Daniel chapter 6, I think it's verse 10, that, that he, he prayed three times a day as he did a four time. Three times a day. James 5, 16 tells us the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so it's to know the presence of God in times of communion, in times of prayer. And of course, also, in times of meditation. Now, meditation is not a word we use a lot today because a lot of people think when you think meditation, oh, you're from re- Eastern religion. But one commentator said this, quote, David speaks of the Christian practice of meditation, not the Eastern practice of meditation. 
In Christian meditation, we will fill our heart and mind with God's word. In Eastern meditation, the idea is to empty the heart and mind, leaving it open for deceiving spirits, unquote. And I remember years ago, this is before I was even in ministry yet, we had a guest speaker come to her name's dad's church. Rich Cooler was the name, I still remember him. And anyway, he was telling the story one time. He's illustrating something. He's telling the story. He, he worked at uh, some factory during college, I think it was. And he, there's this truck driver come in, and, and as they were unloading what was on his truck, he went over it like in a corner and sat down, you know, crossed his legs Indian style, and, and, and kind of held his back, head back like this and just said, it's wrong, Daddy. With his eyes closed. And he said, I asked him afterwards, what are you doing? He said, I'm emptying my mind. See, that's Eastern meditation. There's no such thing as an empty mind. There's always something in your mind. He said what he was doing was giving room to deceiving spirits. No, God wants us to meditate. You know, we're, again, a mind is never inactive unless it's dead. And Philippians tells us to think on good things. And so, you know, we need to have, we do, we ought to meditate upon the things of God and meditate upon his word, upon his promises. And, you know, mull them over in our minds. You know, sometimes I think about the promises of God and I think about what God did for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Bound, cast into the fire, and the fire set them free. Daniel in the lion's den, and God shut the lion's mouth. Moses in the wilderness, and Abraham, and we go on and on about how God uh, protected his own or supplied the needs or provided the means for them. And so we need to meditate upon the promises of God, upon the word of God, and and, and commune with him by prayer. So it speaks of a rich communion by prayer and meditation. And then, then the fourth thing I see here, product, is a willingness to sacrifice for the Lord. Verse 5, offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. You know, doing right is many times a sacrifice. Sometimes it costs. Sometimes there's a price to pay. But if you come to know the Lord and his power and his goodness, you'll willingly do it. You'll willingly do it. You know, if we would understand the greatness of our God, we, we, we should be willing, as one preacher said, to be used up. You know, there have been, there have been those who gave their lives to the Lord and they got used up, so to speak. Stephen. James. Paul. Peter. Etc., etc., etc. We can go on and on. And through the last, you know, throughout time, people have given their lives for the Lord. Others have given their lives and have lived Lives of blessing and, and fruitfulness and, 
and, and ministry, you know, for years. You say, is that fair? It's God's will. Who are we to argue? You see, I believe that sacrifice is a fruit of trust in the Lord. If, 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 if we really trust in our Lord, we'll be willing to sacrifice for his sake. You know, verse 5, the last half of that verse says, and put your trust in the Lord. Uh, in 1 Samuel 15, 20, 22, Samuel said to Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. You know, Saul's sacrifice, quote unquote, was not in obedience to the Lord and therefore did not honor the Lord. Now our sacrifice needs to be pleasing to him for it to be a sacrifice to the Lord. You know, and again, the children of Israel uh, in Ezekiel's day were bringing sacrifice. They were still bringing sacrifices. They always brought sacrifices. Remember, Malachi condemned them from bringing tainted or blemished sacrifices. He said, sacrifices aren't pleased. He said, offer it to the governor. Will he be pleased with me? No, our sacrifice needs to be pleasing to the Lord. You know, I think of sacrifices, you know, standards many times are sacrifice. We yield and allow the Lord to control us, even though it's not may not be popular, may not make us look acceptable in society. But it is a willing sacrifice to the Lord. And then I want you to notice a third thing, the practice of enlargement. Uh, three things here. Confidence in the goodness of God. Notice verse 6. There be many that say, Who will show us any good? Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Who will show us any good? That's the question. Who, who will show us any good? There's many that say, Who will show us any good? Did you ever hear some, have somebody say to you, Well, God never did anything for me. Well, it's giving you light and breath. And a choice to spout off your wicked mouth that one day he's going to judge. The freedom to do that. They can do what they want, but there are going to be consequences to it. And so the question is asked, he says, many there, they say, there be many that say, who will show us? The word any is, is noticed in the talents. Who will show us good? Um, and the psalmist replied, lift up, lift thou up the light of thy countenance. Um, Psalm 80. Look at a couple verses here in Psalm. Psalm 80. Three times in Psalm 80. He talks about lifting up the countenance, God lifting up his countenance. Psalm 80, verse 3, Turn us again, O God, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. Verse 7, Turn us again, O God of hosts, cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. Verse 19, Turn us again, O Lord God of hosts, cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. Remember in Numbers chapter 6, verses 23 to 26, 
the Bible says, Speak unto Aaron and his sons, saying, On this wise ye shall bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And really the idea of believe is, is to be in the smile of God, to have his favor. It's to have his blessing. You know, every child, every Every child wants his father's favor and blessing. They want to smile. They want his approval. And we should desire the favor and smile of our God. And we can have it. You know, if we stand in awe and sin not, offer the sacrifices of righteousness, God will show us. He'll lift up his countenance upon us. You know, the reason he turned away from Israel is, let me rephrase that. Did he turn away from Israel? No, they turned away from him. They turned away from him. God doesn't change. You know, it's interesting. God never turned away from Daniel. Or I should say, Daniel never lost God's favor. Joseph never lost God's favor. Because they never turned away from God. So we can have that confidence in the goodness of God. That's part of the practice of enlargement. Secondly, there's joy and satisfaction in him. Verse 7 says, Thou hast put gladness in mine heart, more than in the time that their corn and their wine increase. So we're talking about joy and satisfaction in him. More than, more than the time when they have everything that the earth could give them, there's more satisfaction, there's more joy, there's more gladness in knowing the Lord than there is in all the abundance of things. Remember what Solomon said? He gathered all this. He had wine. He had, he had men singers and women singers. He had pools. He had trees. He had, he had everything a man could wish for. And what did he say? It's all vanity and vexation of spirit. And there is no profit under the sun. Someone said, Quote, many are happy when the money is coming in and everything is prosperous. David can be happy even in the distressing times because the Lord put gladness in his heart. Psalm 16, 8 says, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 23, 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down. Speaks of rest, of contentment in green pastures. Psalm 94, 19, in the multitude of my thoughts within me, thy comforts were, thy comforts delight my soul. Someone said there's as much difference between heavenly comforts and earthly comforts as between a banquet that is eaten and one that's painted on the wall. There's no satisfaction in a banquet painted on the wall. See, we can have joy and satisfaction more than 
in the time that their corn and wine are increased. More than a time of prosperity. Our joy and satisfaction needs to be in the Lord or is in the Lord. And then thirdly, a practice of the enlargement is resting secure in the Lord. Verse 8, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. For thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. Now, you know, again, this is contingent upon our walking in obedience. We cannot expect God to provide where he does not guide. He is not an enabler. You know, a lot of parents nowadays enable their children to do wickedly. God's not, not, God's not an enabler. He ain't going to fund your wickedness. He ain't going to provide for it. Um, but only, notice, only the Lord has the, the power to guarantee our security. Notice again, he says, I will both lay me down and sleep, peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Philip Bennett, I think from like the 1600s. He's writing in the I Wills of the Psalms, and he wrote this. I'm going to just read part of it because it's quite lengthy. But, quote, many a believer lies down, but it is not to sleep. Perhaps he feels safe enough so far as his body is concerned, but cares and anxieties invade the privacy of his chamber. They come to try his faith and trust. They threaten, they frighten, and alas, prove too strong for trust. Many a poor believer might say, I will lay me down, but not sleep. The author met with a touching instance of this in the case of an aged minister whom he visited in severe illness. This worthy man's circumstances were narrow and his family trials were great. He said, the doctor wants me to sleep, but how can I sleep with care sitting on my pillow? It is the experience of some of the Lord's people that although equal to the emergency or a continued pressure, a re- reaction sets in afterwards. When they come to be alone, their spirits sink. They do not realize that strength from God or feel that confidence in him which they felt while the pressure was exerting its force. There is a trial in stillness, and oftentimes the still chamber makes a larger demand upon loving trust in the battlefield. Oh, that we could trust God more and more with personal things. Oh, that he were the God of our chamber as well as our temples and houses. Oh, that we could bring him more and more into the, in the minutity of daily life. If we did thus, we should experience a measure of rest to which we are perhaps strangers now. We should have less dread of the sick chamber. We should have that unharassed mind which conduces most to repose in body and soul, we should be able to say, I will lie down and sleep and leave tomorrow with God. Ridley's brother offered to remain with him during the night preceding his martyrdom, but the bishop declined saying, quote, he meant to go to bed and sleep as quietly as he ever did in his life, unquote. See, if the Lord has enlarged us, if he's our confidence, we've got confidence in his goodness, our joy is and satisfaction is in him, and when we are walking with him, we ought to be able to rest secure in him. Deuteronomy 12.10, the Lord told the children of Israel prior to going into the land of uh, land of Canaan, but when you go over Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God giveth you to inherit, when he, 
giveth you rest from all your enemies round about, so that ye dwell in safety. When he giveth you rest. In John 10, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. You see, we ought to be resting secure in the Lord. It's a product of our enlargement. How are you tonight? Are you, are you allowing him to enlarge your coast? Are you enduring the inflictions? Seeking his glory? Seeking after godliness and godlikeness? Willing to lay down your life as a sacrifice for him? And seeing and enjoying the blessing and the confidence with a smile of God in your life for his glory? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time and your word tonight. Thank you for the encouragement and challenge it gives to us. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us as your people uh, to allow you to work in our lives, to mold us into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.